0: Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the Faithful. And for the Faithful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey Bruce.
1: Hey David, how are you doing tonight?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well indeed. I'm uh, kind of chuffed by uh, uh, how uh, how well uh, my team, the Edmonton Oilers played in very difficult circumstances tonight and emerged with a well-deserved two points and a 5-3 win over Seattle Kraken, and they had to overcome a few things uh, to get to that final result, and they overcame them with, uh, with uh, good old-fashioned uh, application effort and uh, all those hockey man things and uh, just that little bit extra skill that uh, the other guys couldn't quite match and uh, earned those two points on full merit.
0: Yeah. Five three game. Chuffed is a British word for happy. Yes. <clears throat> and
1: um, it's almost pumped up. I think <clears throat> this is my thing. All
0: right. Chuffed. All right. The chuffed meister. All right. Yeah, that was a. You know, there was when the COVID stuff was um, coming down today. Lots of people seemed to be hoping the game would be canceled. I mean, I wanted to see a game tonight, so I had that. But I also I also thought this was one of those games. I didn't put this on Twitter, so I, you know, you can't count this as a prediction or anything, but I was thinking this is one of those games where <clears throat> they're losing a lot of players here, and the loss of Puliyarvi seemed particularly um, onerous to the team because <coughs> he's been playing so well. But I thought with the guys they were calling up, there was lots of guys with plenty to prove in this game who were going to get some opportunity. And <clears throat> you'll often see teams you know, facing injuries and adversity come through with a big game. I don't think they could do it repeatedly, Um, But they did it tonight, and Fogle's sure looking good on uh, McDavid's line. Anyway, we'll do our two good things, two bad things and two numbers podcast because it's a big win. We'll do two good things each. What is your first good thing, Bruce?
1: Well, I'm going to have to go with uh, uh, the game's first star, Warren Fogle, uh, who, would you look at that? They put him in the top six, and he started to score goals again. And yeah. they, they paired him up with Connor McDavid, and uh, between the empty netter that put away the uh, uh, the win over the Blue Jackets the other night, and then the two goals that he scored uh, against the goalie tonight, it was like a hat trick in under sixty minutes. But uh, not, not in the same game, unfortunately. He scored the empty netter in the wrong game. But that aside, uh, he scored uh, two goals tonight. Uh, one by going hard and pounding home, or an opportunity that came uh, on that was a power play goal, as I recall, by uh, Fogle, wasn't it? Yep, it well, was. Yes, it was. Power Rebound. Play. Yep, because all of their power play wingers, all of them were unavailable to play. They were yep. missing all three of uh, of uh, Nugent Hopkins, Hyman, and Poole Yarvey that uh, uh, normally fill out the Edmonton power play. So others were... Down quite a bit in the skill department tonight, so they needed the grinders to step up, and Warren Fogel was one of those grinders, and he did indeed step up with a with a great big game. Uh, then, of course, he scored later the uh, uh, the game-winning goal uh, with a uh, <clears throat> by going uh, well, first of all winning a battle on the boards and and uh, uh, getting the cycle going. In fact, I think he won two battles on the boards in that extended sequence. And then he went to the net front and uh, uh, put himself in, the, you know, in, uh, uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the maw of the beast, so to speak, right on the edge of the crease. And uh, uh, he predictably somewhat absorbed a cross check from uh, our old friend Mark Giordano, uh, who uh, knocked Fogel puck and all into Chris Dreger and ultimately into the Seattle net. And the the refs originally ruled no goal for goalie interference. But Edmonton's coaching staff correctly um, called for a uh, challenge. uh, And they were proven out to be correct. And the refs in the end did make the right call for the the goal. And that was the difference. Uh, As soon as Edmonton got their nose in front in the third, man, did they shut her down after that. So credit to all of them. But, you know, Warren Fogle, he had five shots on net in this game. And uh, I just thought he was uh, uh, a, a strong performer in, in uh, uh, really all aspects of the game. Like, I I, I liked his, his play in the defensive zone as well.
0: His power play goal was very nice. You know, mm-hmm. um, um, McDavid goes cross ice to Drysidel, who puts it back to Yamo, who just hammers a shot on net. <laughs> and the rebound right <laughs> oh, to Fogle, yeah. who puts it in, no mistake. It's interesting, Yamamoto also looked really good tonight. He did. And it's no coincidence. They get on the power play. They get a couple points each on that goal. And I I just, there's a better feeling around these players. And I wonder how much, if Yamamoto was a regular power player, I wonder what his, you know, reputation would be in Edmonton right now and how many points he might have. That's quite a, for a player like him, the power play is an obvious thing. Just not on the Oilers, right? Because they have so many great attackers. So he's... But on <laughs> you could see if he went to another team, suddenly he becomes, you know... You could see him becoming close to maybe even a point-a-game player um, mm-hmm. if you got regular power play time. Because he, he does have high skill, and he really digs in and wins the puck on the power play. Alrighty. <clears throat> My good thing... I'll start with Darnell Nurse. <clears throat> Bruce, he... Um, he just had a really solid game. Uh, he stepped up. He he was it wasn't mistake free, but he he was he he pretty much kept a clean sheet. He he didn't make many mistakes out there, and he carried the puck all night. He was out for the final three minutes and thirty three minutes and fifty one seconds of the game. Wow. It's like he was playing beer league where you just sometimes you have three defensemen and you play a lot of hockey. So Darnell was really um, carrying the mail there. He just had a great game and. Um. Uh, I don't know if he was a star in the game; he should have been, but he was he, he was fantastic.
1: Oh, so the three stars of this game: uh, Warren Fogle, Ryan Donato, and Jordan Eberle. Mm. This in a game where Edmonton outshot Seattle forty-one to seventeen, and yet somehow two Seattle forwards are among the three stars. So twelve. Uh, um, 14 Whatever stock you might in that, and, and Donato and Everly were okay, but
0: yeah, they sure well, were.
1: Come on, two Seattle stars in that game
0: 12 to <laughs> eight for great A shots, Bruce, for, for the game, according to our account 12 to eight. Yeah. So.
1: so, closer than 17,
0: but yeah, but um, still a big advantage for the Oilers. Yeah. What's your second good thing?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna, I, I really liked all the guys that, that uh, held up the bottom. End of the rosters, and they they did a good job. But I, I will uh, uh, focus specifically on the fairly regular line of Derek Ryan uh, between Tyler Benson and uh, Colton Sevier. And I just like the job that all three of those guys did. They they were moving the puck in the right direction. They were you know making smart plays. They were making tough plays. They were taking hits. They were dishing out hits, and you know just cycling, grinding and creating some chances. And wouldn't you know, uh, Colton Sevier actually scored a goal on such a play, although he wasn't with those two particular line mates at that moment. Uh, but uh, he did it the way basically he and they played the whole game, which was uh, 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 some good honest grinding on the on the cycle and then going to the net. And uh, he was rewarded with a, a friendly bounce and was able to tuck it home. And, uh, uh, you know, well-earned goal and... and that play, uh, you know, that you can say the whole line was rewarded, even though only the one guy got the got the scoring point on it. Uh, I just thought they were a strong old game. They had a very, you know, for a third line uh, playing in a short bench situation, you have uh, shots on net 10 to 2 when Sevier's on the ice. And uh, where are we now with uh, Tyler Benson 9 to 4 and with uh, – uh, Derek Ryan nine to four. I mean, they, they they had a strong possession throughout, and they were. Edmonton seemed to be just as solid when their third line was out there as when either of the top two lines were out there. You know, it was a it was a real good team effort, and I'm very uh, encouraged in general by what we've seen out of the bottom six these last two or three games, and it's it's been <coughs> a real turnaround. And uh, uh, one that's been sorely needed. I mean many, many words were written and tweeted and spoken in anger about how poorly Everton's bottom six had answered the challenge this year, and they were indeed getting badly outscored. But now they've uh, they've put it together uh, a little bit. and that uh, uh, that, uh, that trio tonight, I thought was representative. And uh, so shout outs to uh, to all of them.
0: Benson, um, took, took some hits. He also threw some good hits
1: mm-hmm. and he's was, nasty, very, yeah. I
0: mean, he he's got to be right. Cause he's, yeah. and he's doing it. He's, he's mm-hmm. starting to, he's starting Every to game. put together. He's starting to put together what looks like a little bit of an NHL game here and, um, keep it going and, and keep your eyes, Tyler Benson on Colton Sevier. He's your role model. He's the guy. If you're going to be an NHL player, I think that's who you're going to be. And, um, Colton Siever, you've heard of Mini Mart. Well, he's Mini Matt, the Mini Matt Hendricks. That's who he's starting to... Rem- I was bemoaning the other day that they don't have a Matt Hendricks on the team. Mm-hmm. They know that He is that guy. You know, he's the veteran leader. He's just not as big as Hendricks. But he's just a... First, he is a very smart defensive hockey player. He is a very, very good defensive hockey player. Alex Chason, similarly, was a really good defensive hockey player, and so was Hendricks. He's, they just... They are very diligent. They they read the plays well. Um, they work really hard. All three of those guys on defense. So I <clears throat> I'm sold on Colton Sevier. He's he is. They could use another two just like him. And um, he doesn't. He, I'm not going to say he plays mistake free hockey, but it's close to that. Like he he really plays a smart and safe hockey game out there.
1: Plays well, an honest game, doesn't he? And he uh, uh, he took a. A few for the team in the early going when he actually got absolutely steamrolled from behind by Jeremy Lausanne, what, two or three minutes into the first period? And yeah. uh, 2.26 into the first period, and Lausanne came from behind. He could see his numbers the whole way in and just followed right through and powered um, Xavier basically face first into, into the boards. He, I think he was able to get his hand up and protect himself, but David, I don't know if that's not boarding why do they even have the rule in the books i mean if that's not a penalty why do they even have referees on the ice i mean it was so friggin blatant that they that i was enraged at that moment because that's a dangerous play guys get hurt on plays like that and louis, anyways yeah. he, louis de
0: was enraged And Louis doesn't get enraged very
1: much. And he got up and he decided he wanted to to, to fight Lausanne, fight his own battle. And for for that privilege, he took a couple of more solid punches from a bigger, stronger guy. So he took a few in a row. So he wound up sitting in the box for five minutes, nursing his bruises. And he came out after that, and he played 15 minutes and two seconds in this game. Five shots on net, a goal, uh, five penalty minutes, uh, two hits. And even two and zero on the faceoff dot, where he had to go in after the after the center got kicked out. So you know a little bit of everything, a- including uh, a minute twenty five on the penalty kill. So he played it. You know even uh, Don Evanton's. I guess it was just one penalty that they had to kill in this game, um, and and uh, he played his. Uh, you know he he's been a regular on that unit for some time now. So. He, in particular, of the three I named, very, very good game. Like, I don't know what more you could ask from that guy.
0: That call against him was so egregious. Mm -hmm. It was so terrible that I wondered if, like, so when Fogle scored the goal, again, that's an obvious goal. I mean, he was cross-checked in. It went off his body. That is a goal. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) But it was, the earlier call was so terrible that I was wondering, are they going to get something up here? Like, are they going to get screwed again? Because that's what happened on the first call, where Sevier was obviously boarded from behind in the, into the, and obviously should have been a penalty. So I was just wondering, like, man, is this uh, going to happen? Is this, is this really going to happen? But it didn't, fortunately. So on, there on the my ga- conspiracy theory.
1: On the game winner, I mean, you can at least see how the ref can can make that mistake. He saw the contact yeah. between Fogle and, and the goalie, which was real and fairly spectacular. And he missed how he got in there. Yeah, And Fogel got up right away just shaking his head saying, hey, what am I supposed to do, man? And it uh, took him a little bit to figure it out. I'll, I'll give Louis DeBrusque credit for right away he was all over that one. The, the, the scrum was still going on. And he's saying, I think that's going to be a goal because he got pushed in by Giordano. And indeed, that proved out to be uh, uh, to be the case. And they were able to correct that. How both referees failed to see a guy get run right between the numbers when he's holding the puck along the boards. He's not turning away from the hit. He's he's established position. The guy just zones in on him from 30 feet out and drills him in the back. How they missed that, that is just, to me, that is just not acceptable. And I, was got it a call. reviewed? Got a call. I don't care if it's, an, well, they said, I don't know what they, if they review it, I think they can only call a five-minute major, but I thought it was only high sticks and, Anyway, it's it's major penalties that they can correct for and they, they deemed it wasn't a major. Well, I don't know, man. That's to me it was pretty close to a to textbook boarding major.
0: Like, it was, it was as so bad as McDavid's ups. hit. It was as bad as McDavid's hit as it Louis said on the broadcast. Yeah, it might have been worse. Um the result you know,
1: happened if, if McDavid hit the guy in his head at the stanchion and he bled. Yeah. So that was the, you know, the mitigating circumstance. But he didn't run the guy to the degree that uh Lausanne wrote, run. Saviour tonight,
0: so. Yeah. Bruce, my second good thing is Seth Griffith. Mm-hmm. Griffith, one of the players called up from the AHL. Ah. Seth has been a prolific AHL scorer for a long time. He's a fantastic AHL hockey player. Very good with the puck. Can move the puck, pass the puck. Great power player. Um, tonight he came in. He only he didn't play much. Five minutes and 37 seconds. Wow. Nine, nine shifts. So hardly at all. But, man, he made a great play on Sevier's goal. He, he was, he, I think he won, if I'm not mistaken, like one battle, then another one and, and a key one to get the puck to McDavid, you know, with his hustle. And he's not known for his physical play, but he got, he did what it took in that game to make a physical play, um, a difficult physical play. And it led to a big goal. So I'm going <laughs> to, excuse me, <coughs> go with Sevier, um, and, um, Griffith, mean. Seth, excuse me, Seth Griffith. Yeah. Griffith. Mm-hmm. Um, go with Seth Griffith because uh, that was just a fantastic play at a key moment from an unheralded guy getting a chance. Okay. And great to see. And, you know, you can make those kind of plays. Maybe you can play on the third or fourth line. Like if you're willing to, it's like Benson, you know, he's a big scorer in the HL. Now he's getting physical. Seth Griffith Griffith has the skill, I think, to be an NHL player. If he's, if he's willing to get uh, forechecking and use the body, you never know what can happen to a player at that stage of his career. I think he's 28 or 29. You know, maybe he's ready just to play that, that game. I mean, I, I, I think that's a long shot that he's going to stick, but that was a huge moment and a big, in a big win for the Edmonton Oilers.
1: Yeah. Originally they credited him with an assist on that goal and then they took it away and, it's kind That's of me. unfortunate, you like to see a yeah. guy get rewarded, but uh, I thought he actually d- did earn the assist, I thought the puck got his skate, he went in hard and he, he nailed the guy right behind the net that was trying to move the puck out to the left side, and it never, puck never went anywhere, it just kind of stayed there and McDavid pounced on it and t- took it out in front, and then Sevier um, uh, was able to, to, he went to the front of the net and he was able to find that puck in the blue paint and just stuff it in very hard work and like goal. And I'll give McDavid a lot of credit on that play too. He crowned it out. You know, that wasn't one of these pretty little dipsy doodle dangles. You know, that was, uh, uh, that was uh, uh, him playing with a couple of grinding line mates and the three of them connecting to grind it, puck right into the net.
0: McDavid had a really good game as well. He did. He really was working hard. Um, <clears throat> Bruce, what is your bad thing?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I'm happy. I've already had my rant at the referees on that early missed call, which ultimately didn't cost them much. The bad, My bad things, and there's about 90 of them, that have all happened to the Edmonton Oilers in the last week. <laughs> Holy moly, every day, bad news, bad news, bad news here, there, everywhere. We've had now six different announcements, including one this afternoon of players being sidelined by COVID, and sort of uh, you know important, very important players. They lost three in the last two days: Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Duncan Keith, and Jesper That That is a lot of minutes out of the game. Those three guys are going to play close to sixty minutes among the three of them. <coughs> and they, uh, you know, they're they're going without the coach. Uh, they had you know bad luck with injury to uh, you know. Sort of Hyman. simultaneous injury. Well, Hyman got hurt first, and Nima Linen got hurt. Then, they were, when they were down to the bare bones minimum roster for today's game, It turns out that Kyle Turris is hurt, blocking a shot of all things, and he can't go. And I
0: didn't. I didn't even know that one.
1: Whatever your opinion is of Kyle Turris, it's got to suck when you're a skilled forward that's been stuck behind a whole bunch of other skilled forwards, and now all those guys are out, <laughs> and you're finally going to get your chance, and can't gotta, go broken finger or whatever it is that you know that's, that's that's a pretty tough break for for him uh and you know uh and he would have just been another worker bee tonight so the orders literally played this game shorthanded with uh with a less than a maximum roster and uh, uh they had all that going on before he poor, to pull guy goes down to seattle now he's got a positive test now what does he do Right. He's not allowed to fly home with the team because he tested positive. And I'm hoping there's a way they can, you know, send down a private plane or something to, uh, uh, you know, get him back to Edmonton in time for Christmas. I mean, what's he going to do, quarantine in a hotel room down in Seattle for 10 days? I guess there's worse places to be, but uh, no thanks, especially this time of year. And I can understand why players in general would be pretty terrified of crossing the border right about now. Uh, Just that eventuality, and especially they said something like this on the broadcast is 100% true. Those with, you know, families and kids and so on at home, home, a quarantine on the wrong side of a border this time of year would not be a good thing. Anyway, the orders had to overcome all that. Then they had to overcome sort of those bad calls early in this game. uh, Lagosined. he, he just got hauled down in the first minute of the game. Somehow they missed that. Anyway, they got a uh, they got a junky goal on Skinner early, and then there was a breakdown. It was two nothing down. You think, well, geez, they're actually playing pretty well. I was thinking, and I'm thinking if they're two nothing down after playing well. I wonder if they're, you know, if they're if they're going to break. And they did anything else, anything but. They just up, up the ante and they kept bringing it. They got 20 shots on net in the first period and they were able to, this is important for the owners, tie the score before the end of the first period. They're 0 10 when they trail after one. Well, they were trailing two nothing halfway through one, but they uh, they clawed those two goals back and they were you know, essentially the dominant team of 12 to three shots on net in the third period when the score was tied going in and even when they got the lead they kept on giving up not much and and forcing the action and and getting shots at the at the good end of the ice so i i uh, the bad thing is the adversity and the really good thing is the way the team responded to it i'm more encouraged even though it's an expansion team they beat i'm i think i'm more encouraged by this win tonight than anyone to to this point in the season yeah
0: bruce i my I think one of, personally, one of the bad things is the NHL's COVID rules at this point. And, and I I I think, and I'm not saying that there's not a strong argument that they're reasonable, and that's not a reasonable position to hold, to think that this is the right thing they're doing, but the general public no longer gets tested. It, um, every, well, You know, you have to be symptomatic to get tested. And I think that should be the standard in the NHL. These are, these, you know, we got vaccinated for a reason. These players are all double vaccinated. They are in the They are in great physical health. COVID presents not a great risk for them. I mean, it did before the players were vaccinated. We have many examples now. Alex Stalock, Josh Archibald, Marco Rossi of players who had fairly serious issues with COVID before vaccination. But if these players are mostly asymptomatic, you can't even tell. They can't even tell they're sick (coughs) or they're mildly sick. I'm not sure why they're staying out of games anymore. And I don't, I think they should just have this personally. I think they should have the same standard um, that they have for the general public. Um, This is, this is a different time of COVID. Now we'll see if the Omicron is a lot worse than, than um, we don't know. Essentially no one knows what it's going to be with the Omicron. So that could change things um, dramatically, but let's say that it, it it doesn't. And um, you know, I just think it's time to move to a different set of rules for the NHL and for the, the NFL is talking about it. It's been raised mm-hmm. in the NFL. There's NHL players yeah. who are complaining right. about getting tested three times a week. It's a grind. The, you know, the, the wearing masks all the time. Again, there's got to be a bonus for getting vaccinated and being in peak physical health. And if you really don't present a tremendous risk um, to other people, um, and I don't think that they do um I prefer to see the rules changed so I, and again I'm not saying it's the it's reasonable to disagree I think it's reasonable to disagree with that as well I can see the argument on the other side but it's just my position on it so I'd like to yeah. see yes to argue keep playing if yeah, he's not I, that sick
1: I read your post I know the NFL did in fact uh, <clears throat> as I understand it changed their their approach today that they all oh, they did uh, that they will be uh uh testing people that are showing symptoms and and clawing back on their testing mechanism. And uh, I, I have my reservations, I have to say, but at the same time, uh, this whole situation is evolving and yeah. changing. Uh, and as you say, I mean, people that have been vaccinated have a different, different risk level. And we're getting now, I think, lots of uh, uh, reports that those that test positive, you know, the hockey players, uh, many of them are never get sick. And, and normally you see players, you know, they'll say, oh, so and so is on, he's got a temperature of 40 degrees and he was in bed all day and he came out and he dressed and played in the game tonight and scored the winning goal. I mean, it's, <laughs> those kind of things that happen all the time where players have been like super sick yes. and played through it. And uh, uh, this one is like, the whole reason for the, the strenuous testing, and, and it was vital before there was uh, vaccines in particular, is uh, to, um, uh, to stop the spread. Well, this just in, they're not stopping the spread. <laughs> yeah, There's that's like the truth. 88 NHL players, the last time I counted, and 13 coaches off of 17 different teams that have tested positive. So, you know, the bug is getting to them. And reportedly, most of these guys haven't been sick, so I'm not I'm not comfortable with it. And I at this point, I don't even know if what they're dealing with currently is Delta or Omicron. Uh, I think they say Delta is still the. I prim- think
0: it's Delta, yeah,
1: predominant strain in North America. And it's been around for quite a while. so it doesn't quite explain why there's this, this sudden outburst yeah. now. I agree, but
0: it's weird, eh? It's very yeah, strange. It's
1: very- it is very strange. So you have to tread with caution and that is what the NHL is doing. But, uh,
0: maybe you know, it's, you will know a lot more in two weeks. Put it that way. And we will know in two weeks, whether the Omicron variant is going to have a huge impact or not in terms of ICU cases, which is mm-hmm. where the, really the rubber hits the road in our society, where the hospitals are threatened. We will know that within a couple of weeks you know, fingers crossed that what the early indications out of South Africa are true, but we we don't know what's going to happen yet. I don't know. And I'm done making predictions because it's easy to be, it's easy to be wrong. So we'll see. And in a couple of weeks, maybe the NHL will follow suit with the, with the NFL and change if we don't have a huge and dangerous outbreak of this new variant. But if there's just lots of cases and not a lot of sick people, then Sounds like any other cult to me at that point, and and if that's what it is, let's let's get on with life. So anyway, we'll, we we we'll be revisiting this and uh, see what happens next.
1: Yeah, there's lots but of teams <laughs> that are that are done playing games for a while. There's several teams yeah. that won't play till after Christmas, and uh, I had someone tip me today that they didn't think the orders tonight would be the last game in 2021. And they wouldn't play again till New Year's. I mean, who knows? But uh, that's I think who knows might might as well be the motto of the NHL at this point. I think that's a pretty such good a, such a crazy situation and it's yeah. constantly changing and they're erring on the side of I guess caution but not really enough if they're still going ahead and playing the games and filling the buildings with stand with fans like there's a lot of contradictions and uh there's uh I still wish they would do something about the air filtration in the building
0: it's a great um, moment of uncertainty it, yes it is <clears throat> and um yeah, I, I, I suspect the Oilers just played their last game for until at least wow. after Christmas. Yeah, um, my bad thing was Skinner's play on the first goal against. He's obviously I think he's got to have that shot. It's a bad goal. It's early in the game, and <clears throat> how often do teams come back from that, Bruce? Hardly ever. Like it's it's really yeah. hard. A bad goal, a deflating goal early in the game. <sighs> I mean, I've seen worse goals against. than than that but it wasn't great um definitely should have had that shot and yet Edmonton came back um fantastic that that happened but but um you know wasn't Skinner's um best moment and um the great thing was that Bouchard uh then came back and hammered in a B shot of his own you know I mean it was a hell of a hard slap shot and there was players in front initially but the goalie had to have that one as well so maybe yeah you trade bad goals and it suddenly you get some life from bouchard's goal if you're the edmonton oilers so that that (laughs) might have been the equation part of the equation in the comeback you need you need some breaks in a game and the oilers certainly got one when bouchard put that shot in bruce what's your number
1: yeah i'm going to go with uh, a number of approximately 70 percent Uh, And that's the the percentage of the play that Edmonton dominated tonight. Uh, In all situations, uh, they had a uh, shot attempt 73 to 30 for 70.9%. Shots on goal 41 to 17 for 70.7%. Scoring chances, this is the natural stat trick version, 32 to 13, 71.1%. High danger chances, 13 to 7, 65% expected goals uh, 4.2 to 1.6 was the expected score of this game 72 percent based on that. So I mean that is complete domination and the fact I mean if they had a bigger lead they probably wouldn't have had to keep the pedal to the metal as much as they did but they did and they played 60 hard minutes and they uh, uh, they really control the play. 70% is a fantastic number in any of these in any of these metrics. And then even at five on five, 70% of shot attempts, 68% of shots, 69% of scoring chances. So it's the same same kind of uh, distribution.
0: And we had it at 12 to eight for grade A shots. So again, they're pretty good. Ahead. It's
1: closer they're- closer than uh-huh. any of these. And, and sometimes there's, I think, more uh, more truth in the uh, uh, in the judge chances. But... Uh, uh, I, I put stock in the high danger chances at, uh, yeah. Statrick, and they wow. had it at 11 to six at, uh, uh, at, um, five on five and 13 to seven overall. And we had it about 12 to eight. So, I mean, obviously yeah. we're, we're talking about the same game.
0: Yeah. The, especially impressive was the Oilers in the third period, Bruce. They allowed, they gave up only one grade a shot. According to mm-hmm. our tally, in the third period, uh, Cuckoo got beat on a hard char- charge to the net. Other than that, the orders <laughs> shut it right down. So that's fantastic hockey, defensive hockey, and something the orders haven't done consistently this year. If, you know, come out with better starts and shut it down more in the third period, and this team gets some goaltending, this team's on its way. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Bruce, my uh, number is 29 to 16. That's hits in the game. And um, I just thought that that stat... Doesn't always tell the story of a game. I thought it did tonight. I thought the oilers outworked uh Seattle all night long. They were working real hard and it and they were hitting. They were going for hits and they were throwing hard hits. Nurse had five hits. Brendan Perlini, four, Zach Cassian, four. William Logis, four. Benson, they credited with two. I think he had more than two hits. Um yeah, I just think that number shows the total team effort that we saw tonight. It was a, it was a great win for the Edmontoners. It was kind of an exciting win. Like you're, you're quite encouraged by it, and I am as well. I'm because, um,
1: I love this game. Yeah, for, they, for how they, for what they were able to make out of those circumstances, this was this was big.
0: That was a game so good that even Alan Walsh is smiling tonight.
1: <laughs> Dave Tippett wasn't on the bench, and
0: William William Lageson was. And William William Lockison played a good game. He's actually played two good games in a row. And um yeah,
1: he's he's this is uh, the best he's looked by far in any of his was this his third different year he's had a yeah. cup of coffee here and and uh, uh I think this is the best games that he's played.
0: You just never know with players when they're going to make that breakthrough and if they can maintain it. But he's strung a couple of good games together. He did have a good streak last year playing with Larson, and then he got banged up and he started to play more poorly. <clears throat> All righty. I think we've run through the gamut of um, the two good things, two bad things, and two numbers. Bruce, you're doing the game grades tonight. Is that correct? I cool? am. All right. Well, I'll let you get at it. And. Um, and we'll we'll see when we talk next about uh, about an owner's hockey game. I think we both do subscribe to the Condors. If if they're still right playing, we can, if they're still playing through this, maybe we'll start to to talk about some Condors games instead. So we'll see about that, Bruce. Uh, yeah,
1: they, they got a Christmas break, I believe, but uh, we will oh, do, uh, right? we'll see what happens. Uh, if, if, you know, in terms of right across the hockey world in this next while. But uh, whatever games are being played, uh, we'll uh, try and cover them.
0: Bruce, thanks for talking tonight.
1: All right. And thank you for listening, everyone.
0: And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. I hope by the time we come back that I no longer have my cough.